Good morning, saints, and happy Mother's Day to all of you mamas out who are watching this morning. Uh, I'm excited for you all. Uh, I wanted to remind you all as moms that you have made the decision to embark on one of the most bold adventures of all. And I want to say this as well, that uh, for if I knew nothing else about you, and obviously I hope I, I do uh, for most of you, but if I knew nothing else about you than the fact that you're a mama, I would already know how deeply you love, how you sacrifice daily, how you must have some quirky sense of humor, and that you have a core of strength. And I want you to know that you have my deepest love and admiration. And so before we uh, jumped into our teaching this morning, I wanted to take a quick minute and dedicate a, um, to all the moms who are watching this morning on Mother's Day to dedicate a little illustrative story shared by a woman named Irma Bombeck, who was a humorist and author. Um, and what the title of the poem and illustrative story she wrote is When God Created Mothers. And so for all of you moms, I want you to be encouraged by this. And then uh, for those of you who aren't moms, hopefully in going through this together, you will uh, take a moment and appreciate your mother even more. Begins like this. When the good Lord was creating mothers, he was into his sixth day of overtime when an angel appeared and said, you're doing a lot of fiddling with this one. And God said, well, it's complicated. Uh, she has to be completely washable, but not plastic. She has to have 180 moving parts, all replaceable. She has to run on black coffee and leftovers, have a lap that disappears when she stands up, a kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a disappointed love affair. And she has to have six pairs of hands. The angel slowly shook her head and said, Six pairs of hands? No way. And it's not the hands that's causing me problems, God remarked. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers have to have. That's on a standard model, said the angel. God nodded. One pair that sees through closed doors when she asks, what are you kids doing in there when she already knows? Another at the back of her head that sees what she shouldn't, but what she has to know. And of course, the ones in front that can look at a child when he goofs up and say, I understand and I love you without having to say so much as a word. God, the angel said, touching his hand gently, you need to get some rest tomorrow. I can't, said God. I'm so close to creating something so close to myself. Already, I have one that can heal herself when she's six. Or when she's sick, can feed a family of six on one pound of hamburger, and can get a nine-year-old to actually stand under a shower. The angel circled this model of a mother very slowly. It's too soft, she sighed, but tough, said God. You can imagine what this mother will be able to do or endure. Can it think, asked the angel. Not only can she think, she can reason, and she can even compromise, said God. Finally, the angel bent over and ran a finger across her cheek. There's a leak, she pronounced. I told you, you were trying to put too much into this model. That's not a leak, said the Lord. 
It's a tear. What's it for? It's for joy, sadness, disappointment, pain, loneliness, and pride. You're a genius, said the angel. Somberly, God replied, I didn't put it there. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. So as a church, we are in week eight of our digital Sunday service. And if you're anything like me, you're about ready for it to all end and for us to be able to get back to normal, to be able to meet back together again. And we're eager to do that as well on our part, trust me, but we're also determined to do it the right way. And so until that time, we're launching into a new series starting this week that we've entitled Growing Up. And it's a series that's going through the book of 1st John, which was written by a close friend and disciple of Jesus. You kids, you probably already figured that out. I mean, 1st John, written by a guy named John, who happened to be a close friend of Jesus. That's pretty logical. So I'm excited about having you kids jumping on board and riding along with us today. But I've got a little assignment for you all. So I know that I'm giving you extra work that your parents don't have to go through. But I think this is going to be really cool. So uh, here's what I want you to do. First of all, uh, before we do anything else, if you have not yet hugged your mom today on Mother's Day, you need to do that right now. So you can just get up out of your chair, go ahead and give your mom this huge hug. And if you already have, go ahead and do it again. There's, I'm sure she's not going to mind. So go ahead and do it. I'm waiting. So... I'll give you a second. Hey, Miles, a little more energy, buddy. So Luke, Trip, hey, it's really okay. Stop being so hesitant. Just give him a big hug. So, and Serena, I see you. You're energetic and exuberant as always. And that's how you roll. So good job. You guys get it? You're piling on top of your moms? Okay. All right, wrap it up. There's still some social distancing, kids. So psh, social distance now. So let me tell you what else I want you to do today. So you just gave your mom a hug, which is the most important thing. And this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to draw a picture for me, which we've done uh, most of these eight weeks, but this one's going to be a little bit different. So I want you to draw a picture this morning, a nice pretty picture this morning on uh, about something that you love about your mom. So it can be anything you want, any feature of your mom, but I want you to draw a picture of something that you love about your mom. And so I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with it because I want you, some of you may need to draw a couple of pictures, but you're only going to send in one, your best one. And what we're going to do is I'm going to, and I'm going to bring up a couple of guests at the end of our teaching time, and we're going to try and figure out what it is that you drew a picture of that you love about your mom. Now, there are some rules in this, right? In addition to only sending in one, your best one, you also can't give us, like, you can't write any clues. Like, you can't write, I love most mama's hair, right? You can't write that. Just write your name on the picture, but nothing else, so we can do our best to try and guess what you drew. Does that all make sense? And so go ahead and draw your best picture, and then your parents will take a picture of that picture and send it in to awakenqna at gmail.com. 
Com, and we will go through it. I'll give you a little warning towards the end that now is the time to really make sure it's all in. But you have uh, the time I'm going to be spending teaching today. So it'll be like three or four hours, somewhere around there. Just kidding. It'll be 20 minutes-ish that you'll have, 25 minutes that you'll have to go ahead and do that. So go ahead and get started. Crayons, pencils, watercolor, whatever you want to do. Get some paper out and get started. So while the kids are doing that, the rest of us are going to dive into 1 John. If you have a Bible readily available, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John. It's found close to the back of the Bible, just a few streets away from the book of Revelation. And if you don't have a Bible with you right now or readily available, that's okay. We'll show the verses on PowerPoint and uh, we'll, you can just track along and follow along. But uh, it's always best to have God's word right in front of you if you can. So, first John, growing up. Most of us, um, when we read through first John, and I hope all of you will over the course of this series, go through the book of first John together with us. Uh, most of us will find reading first John to be fairly easy and straight forward. And the reason for that is because John, who is the close friend of Jesus, who writes this book, talks about the faith and talks about the world in a very simple, uncomplicated way, which is really refreshing, isn't it? To talk about the world in an uncomplicated way. There are too many people in the world today that try to make uh, things too complicated. Uh, the media does this, politicians do it. Uh, even in the church, we have people who insist on making things complicated and hard to understand, which leaves the rest of us feeling at times unnecessarily stupid or just like, I, I just, I can't even understand what God is trying to say. But John is not one of those people. For John, the world has clean lines. There's a clear right and there's a clear wrong. And everything in between can be tackled with and tempered with love. And for John, that's what it looks like to grow and mature as a Christian. So for John, in many ways, as you read through this book, growing up as a Christian means that as we mature, we're able to more easily discern what is right from what is wrong, what is good from what is evil, and have the capacity to love throughout. So that's what John does in this letter. Clean lines, tempered with love. And throughout the course of this book, uh, this letter, if you will, uh, John's also going to be focusing on a couple of key themes. Uh, talking about, uh, he emphasizes building passion in the church. Uh, to help the church stand firm against false teachings and false uh, teachers is also going to be another point of emphasis. And finally, to reflect on how they are living in light of God's presence in their lives. So basically, his themes are going to be love, truth, and life. And what John is going to do in this book, because sometimes for those of us who have read it already, you find that John can be a bit repetitive, but what he's doing is he's cycling through these themes of love, truth, and life over and over and over again, each time hitting it in just a little bit of a different way. Sometimes you use contrast, sometimes we'll talk about it differently, but cycling through these ideas over and over again 
wanting the church to not miss these important themes. So, with that outline in mind, we're going to dive into chapter 1, which begins this way, from verses 1 through 4. We proclaim to you, I'm reading in the New Living Translation, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. The one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So right off the bat, what you see is John emphasizes over and over this dichotomy of we and you. And when John does that, when he's referring to we, he's talking about himself and the fellow apostles, all of those who have firsthand seen and seen Jesus, heard him teach, and experienced him firsthand. That's the we, right? That John is saying, every one of us who have seen and been with Jesus firsthand, the apostles and witnesses, we are the we in this passage, in these series of passages. You are the first of a new generation. You are the disciples of the witnesses, the followers of those who have witnessed Jesus firsthand. You didn't get a chance to actually see Jesus or hear him teach, but you're sitting at the feet of those who have. You're learning from those who have actually been there. And I, John, want to emphasize to you that just because you didn't witness Jesus firsthand, just because you didn't see him with your own eyes or hear him with your own ears, doesn't make the truth that you're hearing any less reliable. And the reason for that is because those who are sharing these things with you, teaching these things to you, have. We are trustworthy teachers. You can trust what we are saying because what we are saying is based on what we ourselves have seen and heard. So uh, I've always been uh, a bit of a storyteller. Uh, used to just read a lot of stories, read a lot of books. And when I became a husband and a father, I started engaging in storytelling all the more, especially with my kids. And so when our kids were young, one of the challenges of being a storyteller is that we had to train and teach our kids to be able to discern when dad's telling a true story, something that actually happened, versus stories that dad would just kind of make up for their entertainment. 
Uh, so one of the things we used to do at our, at our dinner table for years, we used to tell what we call Luke clan stories, where we gave everyone in our family a superpower, and we'd go on these adventures, and I'd just tell part of an adventure over dinner, and they'd have to wait till the next night's dinner to hear the next part, and it'd just be this ongoing uh, soap opera story. And our kids had to learn to, uh, very quickly that, okay, when dad is telling these Luke clan stories, they're obviously not true. Danielle didn't really get kidnapped by a bad guy. We're not really going to go and save her right away and use our superpowers. So they are able to discern uh, when I was making up a story from when I would tell them other stories that were true, stories about my life, uh, stories, for example, of things I used to eat. Uh, when I would tell them that I ate python, for example, they're like, oh, no way. Or beef tongue. They're like, ooh, does it have the little bumps? And I told them once I ate a fish eye, I took the eye. It's evidently very nutritious. I popped it in my mouth, sucked out all the sliminess, and psh, popped out the cartilage, right? And they're like, oh, and they were horrified, and they were amazed, and they gagged a little bit, but they never doubted that it was true. I also told them about some of the crazy things I've seen. I shared how I once watched a live bullfight in Mexico. Uh, also in Mexico, I, I watched this fight between a cobra and a mongoose live right in front of us. And uh, that was pretty amazing. How um, when I was a counselor... Uh, me and another counselor saw this little girl and she was spasming and we cast out a demon from her, which is crazy, almost unbelievable. And yet when I told these kids, these, uh, my kids, these stories, they were amazed, they oohed and odd, they were horrified, they were um, just, they were in gasping in disbelief, but they believed every word I said. Why? Because they trusted the messenger. They knew I was their dad. They knew that if I told them a story that was true, I wasn't going to lie about it. And because they trusted me, they trusted the stories I told and the message we gave them, my wife and I did. Because we'd never given them reason to mistrust us. That's what John's doing here. That's how he chooses to start this letter. By emphasizing, reminding them that, hey, it's me, guys. I've been like your spiritual father. I'm the one telling you this. So you know that the things that you are hearing, as unbelievable as they might seem, are true. And that anyone else who is coming in telling, something, telling you something different from me, they're wrong. Don't listen to them. They're teaching falsehood. Here is the truth. John then continues. He says, now that you know who it is that says things to you, here's where we're going to begin. Verse 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's John's first point of reference. He says there's light and there's dark. Living in the light is living in fellowship with God. Living by or in accordance with the truth. 
and living free of sin. That's what it looks like to live in the light. Living in darkness involves lying. Lying about who we are, lying about what we do, and not practicing the truth. That is what it looks like to live in darkness. And John is saying, church, I want you to live in the light. That is what you have been made for. So before we move forward from that emphasis, that point of emphasis, I want you to notice something else John does in these first seven verses. He uh, emphasizes this idea, this word, numerous times, I think four times or so in these first seven verses, the word fellowship, right? Fellowship with us, fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, and then again in these passages, fellowship with one another. And so what is John trying to emphasize with this word fellowship? The Greek word that's actually used, that John uses, is koinonia, and the, to define it is, is much more complicated than just a one-to-one translation to the word fellowship. Because koinonia represents much more than that. It represents this rich, um, complex building of community. It's an idea that uh, is trying to communicate koinonia that uh, we're a community knit together by Christ. And we bear responsibility for one another. Right? That's the essence of, of koinonia. And so the way John begins is by emphasizing that God has revealed himself in this New Testament era through Christ to create a new kind of relationship. And that new kind of relationship is captured in this word koinonia. It's a new type of relationship that we have with God and it's a new type of relationship we have with one another. We don't have um, a, a similar frame of reference that John did, um, but we do, I take that back, we do have it, but we don't have a frame of reference that's captured in a word. Instead, what we have are ideas, uh, concepts that we see play out all of the time. We see it play out especially uh, in, on TV shows and in movies to help us understand what this idea of koinonia might look like today. So if we were to point out uh, or talk about TV shows like The Office or Parks and Rec or NCIS, uh, movies like uh, The Avengers, uh, Jumanji, uh, Oceans 11, 12, and 13. Uh, the idea that these TV shows and these movies have in common is that different people from different backgrounds are brought together by a specific figure or need that over time becomes a committed family. That's kind of the idea that's kind of in common with all of these different TV shows and movies. And that's the Christian story as John sees it. And for John, maybe if he were to share this idea today, he would say that Jesus is kind of like Nick Fury or Leslie Nope or Jethro Gibbs, right? That he's bringing together this team of people from all these different backgrounds, giving them vision and a clear sense of purpose while forging them into a committed family that depends on one another. That's how John sees the church. And the word he uses to describe that idea is koinonia. We translate that into fellowship, but 
understanding that that fellowship is designed to capture an idea that we see in TV and movies all the time, right? That's our frame of reference for what this looks like. These are, and what we see in TV shows and movies, you understand is just a faint reflection of what God has established. It's just a hint of what God has already created in his relationship with us and amongst ourselves as a church. Our relationship with Christ, our relationship with one another is built on trust and it's built on truth. That's what John is establishing here, why the distinction between light and darkness is if we walk in light, if we walk in truth and we can trust one another, that is going to be the foundation of the relationship we have with God and the relationship we have with one another. But if we say we're in fellowship with God and then we lie and we willfully sin, then what we've done is we become betrayers. We become infiltrators or spies who are undermining the fellowship. So either you're going to be a hero that lives in truth and trust and help build the fellowship, or you're going to be a liar, willful sinner, and thereby make yourself an infiltrator and deceiver undermining the fellowship with your actions. And that's an important warning that none of us should ignore, church. John makes it clear you're walking in light in this relationship with God or you're walking in darkness. And don't be one who walks in darkness. Don't claim to be in fellowship with God and then deliberately choose to live in sin and then lie about who you are and what you do. Because when you do so, you're undermining the community Jesus died to establish. And you should feel the weight of that responsibility. And you should know that the warning is not something that we should take lightly. Verses 8 through 10. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I shared earlier that John writes very simply. Clean lines, good and evil, black and white, light and darkness. John, however, in addition to writing simply, we have to understand his writing in context. And in context, I shared earlier, one of the, uh, his purposes in writing this letter is to confront false teachers and false teachings. And John is writing this letter to address a very specific problem in the church. False teachings by a group that we would today call the Gnostics, right? Gnosticism is this big umbrella term that's used for people who believe they have this uh, higher and more spiritual form of knowledge that gives them, from their perspective, a deeper understanding of God. So in this higher and deeper understanding of God, there are certain key values, right? The belief that the material world is evil and wicked. So our bodies and anything we can see and touch is inherently evil, but spirit and spiritual things are inherently good. 
And this belief was okay, but it became problematic when these Gnostics inserted themselves into the church and into these young church communities and began teaching their ideas. And some of the consequences of those ideas started to play out in their different teachings. The idea that, well, um, because the material is wicked inherently and spirit is inherently good, uh, Jesus was never fully man. He couldn't have been because flesh is inherently evil, but he appeared like he was. And so that's the only way it could have worked, that yes, Jesus was God, but he was never fully man. Or uh, some other ideas they would teach that, that sin, sin if committed in the body doesn't have any effect on the spirit because they're, they're not connected. There's a dualism involved there. And so what that meant practically is that, well, in my flesh, there's no harm in indulging in some sin because it's beyond redemption anyway, and it has no effect on our spirit. So because of that, the Gnostics could legitimately say that we are sinless, that we have committed no sin, even though in the flesh they're doing wicked things, if that makes sense. And so John is writing these words and he's saying, hey, first of all, why are you listening to them? I'm the witness. I'm the apostle. I'm the one that's seen Jesus firsthand. Trust what we're saying to you, right? And then he's saying about these people who are claiming sins, basically John's saying, I disagree. If you claim to be without sin, you're calling God a liar, right? God teaches that we are all sinners. And so if you claim to be sinless, not only are you undermining the work of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but you're lying to yourself and you're not living in truth. Gnostic thinking isn't really all that popular today, but there are variations of it today that can feel really familiar. Our practice today probably looks a little bit more like denial and minimizing. Uh, so we would probably frame our perspective on sin and God is, you know, um, lying, stealing, coveting. Everyone does it. What's the big deal? Dishonoring your parents, using the Lord's name in vain, worshiping idols. Are these even really sins? Are we serious? Adultery is just a sign that you're not in love anymore. Murder, sometimes justified. Right there, we just went through the Ten Commandments, right? Today, it's not that we uh, as a culture claim to have no sin, but that sin is not a big deal. That's the challenge that we wrestle with today. So what is there to confess? Sin's not that big a deal. And who is God anyway to hold me accountable? That's how this manifests today. And John, I think John today, if you're writing a letter to our culture today, would whisper to us that by making sin small, we're lying to ourselves and we're not living in truth. And when we choose to not have any accountability with God, then what we're saying is there's no one I need to confess to. There's no one I'm accountable to. Why should I? But the unintended result, I think John would say, is if there's no confession, then there can also be no forgiveness. And there's no cleansing. And then it shouldn't be any surprise when we wonder why our lives feel so dirty and why the world feels so cold. John's charge today, I believe, would be very similar to what he shared in this letter. I want you to admit it. 
Admit that you're a sinner and that sin matters. Confess and discover a faithful God who will cleanse you from your place of wickedness, who offers forgiveness. He's the only one who can. Don't deceive yourselves anymore. Take responsibility for your mistakes. Take responsibility for your sin and allow God to have a place in your heart and in your life. And when you do, what you're going to find is you're going to find yourself in the joy of forgiveness and more than that, drawn into this new, beautiful relationship with God and with surrounded by a faithful community that is striving to, alongside you, live in light and live in truth. A fellowship with God and with God's people held together by Christ and each part needing every other part. Koinonia. So it's time to start wrapping up. So as we do, I want to remind all of you kids that, hey, this is it. So put the pencils down, the crayons down, the watercolor down, and uh, pull out your best picture for those of you who managed to draw more than one and just hand it over to your parents. Tell them, and parents, take a picture of that picture and go ahead and send it in. If your kid's name is on it, that would make it a lot easier. And go ahead and send that picture in to awakenqna at gmail.com. And again, please write your name, but no other words or hints on the page that would give away what it is that you love about your mom. And so as you're doing that, I'm going to wrap up with this idea, right? When we read through the book of 1 John, um, as we go through it over the course of the next few weeks, what you're going to find is there's nothing, um, especially if you've been in church for a while, especially if you've read the Bible for uh, a good portion of your life or are familiar with what the Bible teaches, there's nothing super novel or groundbreaking um, in this book or in this letter. Again, clean lines, simple language. That's how John works. Clean and simple, though, I want to remind you, doesn't always equate to easy. Clean and simple is not the same as easy. It is not easy being a Christian. It is not easy to be a part of a fellowship. It's not easy to say that I'm willing to depend on others, to be a part of others, and for them to depend on me. But that's what is inherently a part of what koinonia, fellowship, involves. But the blessings God is saying, and John is saying in, this, in these passages, in, these bo in this book, is that the blessings outweigh the cost. It's worth it. Living alongside in this relationship with God and with other believers and being part of this great extended family is a tremendous blessing and joy that you really can't experience in its fullness anywhere else. Maybe in fantasy is the only way we can experience it, but not in real life. I had a chance to experience part of that this past week. Um, so to share a bit of background, uh, during the past eight weeks, it's not like we've been sitting on our hands twiddling our fingers. A lot of the leaders in the church have been working hard to not only uh, make 
you know, uh, this situation work, but also to be looking ahead at ways that uh, lessons that are being forged during this time that we can carry into church in the future down the road. And one of those challenges that have been brought up is to think through how our church can reach out to more people that God has been bringing into our midst, specifically uh, those who are some, uh, we are having some who are Spanish speaking, and we're thinking about offering translation services as a church. And so this is nothing novel or nothing new. A lot of other churches done it, but I don't think we've ever explored it and understood the challenging logistics of it. And so what's been really cool is I've been trying to get, as I've been researching this and looking into it, I've been getting a lot of counsel as well. So I called up uh, the pastors of the church at uh, La Roca in Miami. And it was so cool to see how readily both pastors, or two of the pastors, just jumped on board. I got a call from Freddie, and he was telling me, walking me through patiently, how they executed this in their church for numerous years until they actually split down and have separate services, one for Spanish speakers and one for English speakers. And uh, on top of walking us through and walking me through and sharing all the different tips and lessons that he learned, he also said, you know what? I think we still have a good bit of our equipment. We're just going to go ahead and pack it up and at our expense, send it to you to go ahead and use for as long as you like. What? Thank you so much. That's what it means to be part of this fellowship of believers. I um, also know, I know the pastor in the church, the congregation, the Jacksonville Chinese Church here in the city and got a chance to go and talk to them because they also do translation in Chinese, of course. But, um, and so I got a chance to talk to one of their workers, the guy who oversees all of this. And he took me through and he just spent half an hour, almost an hour with me uh, two days ago, just walking through, here's what we do. Here's the equipment. And you know what? Since we're not using it right now, why don't you go ahead and borrow it and use it and test it out in your space to see if that works. Just a small example uh, just a small part, but just to see the readiness of God's people to serve, to go above and beyond to serve in whatever capacity and to not even think twice about it. That's what fellowship means, doesn't it? This is the type of community we're a part of if you let yourself be a part of it. A community that says, hey, I know that anytime I'm in need, I've got people who've got my back. And to know too that they can count on me as well unflinchingly, unselfishly offering ourselves to one another. That's what it means to be a part of this community and the blessings in it are beautiful. Grounded in Christ, built with truth and bound by love. That's koinonia. It is such a joy to experience it for me just in some small way this past week and to be reminded that this is the community we are privileged and blessed and humbled to be a part of. Amen? So I'm looking forward to going through the rest of First John with you all uh, over the course of the next few weeks. And hopefully you guys will be reading alongside and excited to learn with us. But now we're going to be making a transition. So I've got a couple of young helpers who will be coming up to help me guess what it is that you guys want to paint or, or draw that you love about your mama. So anyway, we're going to kick that off and hopefully have a bit of fun. So Talia and, Isabel, or, uh, Talia and Danielle are two of my daughters uh, wearing my Deadpool hoodie. So a little outfit change. So it is, it is a bit chilly in the church. So anyway, Clara... The C-H-C-L and C-A. 
is community. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I love what you love about your mom. You know what? I, I see chairs, maybe, that they're sitting down in. I think a maybe sense of peace. She cooks for them. Oh, oh that's gosh. brilliant. Your mom, I'm sure, is an amazing cook. And anytime she wants to show that to us, we would take it. That looks great. Fantastic. Thanks, Claire, that your mom's a great cook. That's our guest. Clara, not That's Claire. Clara. Clara. He said Claire. Dean. Oh, uh, your mama's heart. Your mama does have a huge, huge heart. Thanks, Dean. That was cool. Caitlin. Caitlin, I think, okay, it, okay. Just from experience from whenever, you know, church used to be open, they're matching outfits. <laughs> which is, might not be what you were trying to convey. But no, also, that's a hug. I mean, that too, but matching, matching outfits. Matching outfits. Yes, matching outfits and hugging together. Yay, Caitlin. I love hugs too. Is that a piece Seth. of bread? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Seth, uh, yeah. Loving your mama's bread-making skills is uh, definitely up there. Very cool, buddy. That looks great. That looks like exactly like a piece of bread. Corbin. Yes. Evidently, Corbin, you love that your mama's a mess, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, that was just a joke. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I'm a mess. I love Uh, love flowers? Meadow? Oh my gosh, they're obviously in the park. Oh. In both night and daytime at the same yeah. time. <laughs> All the time. That sweet spot where it's yeah, like the sun's going down, but there's also the moon is in the air. Yes. Very, very nice okay, very uh, funny. Uh, hello. Whatever. <laughs> Ruth, that is, that is pretty styling right there. That's an amazing it's picture. So, so what would you say is what she appreciates most about her mom here. Maybe she's gorgeous. Yes. Your mom is beautiful. Great sense of style. Uh-huh. Wonderful eyebrows. Cool. Yes. Beautiful, loving. Serena! Serena! Uh, standing on the mountaintop. Getting ready to slide. Is that a slide? Oh, my gosh. Having fun with your mom. That's a good one. There's so many descriptions that look good. And Briella. Is that school? Is that her Briella? Planning one of your sisters. If that's the case, you're like our kids. You're a bit of a nerd. That's great. That's good stuff. Nice. Sitting with you, talking with you, helping you. That's true. Through your tears. Oh, that's good. It's like you drew a little movie. There's scenes. Oh, I love this one. Yeah. Deep, dark, black. It's like so abstract. Was that the last one? Is this one really? Oh, cool. Awesome. Thank you guys for sending all that in. Thank you, ladies, for uh, helping out. So just I'm going to run through a couple quick announcements, and then we will wrap up. And seriously, Stephanie, I apologize. You're not a mess. Um, please don't send your husband to kill me. That's not, that would not be cool. Um, anyway, yeah, not that you need your husband to help. <laughs> anyway, you could do that. Um, so the only announcement that I've got, and we're going to be scrolling through our announcements in just a little bit afterwards. But uh, the only announcement that we have is we're going to continue to be streaming virtually uh, exclusively for the next couple of weeks as well. So through the 24th, I believe, Memorial Day uh, weekend, uh, we're going to continue to be streaming. But we're getting close and we're excited about launching some of our pioneer um, endeavors uh, after that 
time. So, but just plan for that. Just know for the next couple of weeks, at least, we'll still be in our current mode. But I'm pretty sure that pretty soon after that, we're going to be ramping up. And uh, I hope you guys are excited about it as I am. So let me close out in a word of prayer, and then we'll have some announcements scrolling. And um, you guys go out and enjoy your Mother's Day. And Lord, thank you so much for this time, for this morning, for the opportunity to walk through the Word together. And to be able to just get a little taste of what John might be sharing with the church that he was loving for, loving, shepherding, and caring for, oh Lord Jesus. And we thank you that your word is timeless. We thank you that your truths are timeless. And that, God, your presence is with us just as fully today as it ever has been. And we thank you, God, that you've chosen to make our lives your dwelling place. Jesus, thank you for creating and establishing this new beautiful relationship with us, God. We're a relationship where we don't have to go to some place in order to worship you. We don't have to enter into some sanctuary to worship you. But you have torn apart the veil that separated us from you. And now we can, as you told the woman at the well, we can worship you anywhere in spirit and in truth. And thank you for this beautiful relationship we have with you. And thank you that because of this relationship we have with you, we're part of this family. We're part of this fellowship that is deeply committed to one another, to, that we are all part of one body, that we are necessary parts of each other's lives. And uh, God, that we can count on one another. We know that uh, not only will we be spending this life united in you, but also the rest of eternity getting to discover what this relationship looks like and, and how to get to know one another more deeply. I think that's just going to be beautiful. And I'm so excited for that day. Lord, we thank you so much for this time, for this morning. We pray that your spirit would continue to be with us today. And that you would, in particular, caress, love, and bless all of the mamas uh, out there today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a happy Mother's Day, and uh, praise the Lord. <laughs>